Hey, good morning. You know, if you're just joining us, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And, um, you know, before I kind of get into my message, I just want to thank you guys for singing on that song. Um, uh, I said this last week in that short little video I made, in that high-tech video I produced. Uh, um, you know, that we're, we're not just meant to be passive consumers of information when we come to church. Like, you all have a job to do. And one of your jobs is to, like, praise the Lord. And, like, it's not one of those jobs, like, kind of like your anniversary, right? Like, when, you, when, you, when it's your anniversary, I'm, Scotty, don't, don't be mad dogging me already. I haven't even finished. <laughs> you know, on your anniversary, like, you need to take your wife out on your anniversary, right? That's your job, husbands. Or, or show her care in some other way that's meaningful to her. But it's not your job in the sense of, like, you must do it. It should be our job because we delight to do it. Like, the Lord has done so much for us. We should praise him and sing. And the scriptures even tell us that we have this job when we gather together to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So thank you for doing your job um, on that callback song. And when you come, like, know that you've got something to do here. So, uh, and it's not just to sit there and be impressed about how much I make a fool of myself when I'm up here talking. So, um, but that being said... (laughs) Did I hear an amen? So, man, you guys are a rough crowd already. Uh, that being said, you know, we are, if you're visiting with us, we are studying in the book of John, and we are in John chapter 17, and um, I had everybody during the, during the ice storm look at the first few verses of that, and, and John chapter 17 is, um, is what's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together in this upper room, and They celebrated the Passover together, and Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper there, and he taught them. He spent the evening teaching them, and at the end of his teaching, which ended at the end of chapter 16, it says in chapter 17, verse 1, that these things Jesus spoke, and lifting his eyes up to heaven, he said, and he began to pray. So this is kind of Jesus' last, like, time of prayer with his disciples before he goes to betrayal. And because of that, it's a really significant passage for us. Um, and, and last week, we saw that Jesus prayed for himself, which might surprise some of you. He prayed that God would glorify himself in him, which sounds like a weird thing at first, because like we, that, that, God's pray, that Jesus is praying that he would be glorified. But what we, when we really dig into that, what you realize is that Jesus, is in seeking his glory, is doing that without any self-seeking, because what he's asking the Father for is the strength and and God's help in being faithful to walk the path that he's going to walk over the next, like, 36 hours, or not even that long, the next day, when he offers himself up as a substitutionary sacrifice to die in your and my place and for the sins of the world. So he, he prays for God's help in that. And in our text today, he's going to shift his attention and pray for his disciples and, and we'll, we'll talk about this later on, but, you know, specifically he's praying for the 12 that are there in the room with him, but then we'll find out later on that he's indirectly kind of praying for all of us as well. And it's an important passage for us today, I think especially um, considering the, the age that we live in today, because Jesus is going to be praying, and we'll see this this week and next week. He's, gonna, he's really going to ask, like, one request that kind of has these two parts, and we're going to look at the first part of his request this morning and the second part of his request next week. But um, his prayer is, it talks about our, our relationship with the Father. It talks about our relationship with this world. 
It talks about our relationship with each other. And I think as Christians, it's, it, it is becoming increasingly challenging to know how to navigate all those things. Um, and so I think it's a really important prayer for us this morning. Our text is going to break out into three main sections. Um, the first section is Jesus, you know, as, as we're overhearing this conversation between Jesus and the Father, he's going to talk about the nature of his disciples, and he's going to reveal some things about who we are as his people then he's going to talk in verses 9 through the first half of verse 11 about like, who he's praying for and the focus of his prayer. And then finally, when we get to 11b, he's going to ask his request, and we're going to see the burdens that are on Jesus' heart. So please stand with me. I'm going to go ahead and read John chapter 17, verses 1 through 19 this morning. And let me give you a quick disclaimer. Um, uh, this is the same Bible. This is a longer story, but I'll, for the sake of the brevity, I'll just, this is the same Bible I got when I was first saved in high school, and I've always read from this same Bible, and it's like that trusted companion of mine. That's why I encourage people to have like a good quality paper Bible that they can like keep reading over and over again. Um, and the funny thing about it, because I know it's hard to believe this, but like I got that a while ago. <laughs> um, and they did this weird thing in this translation where whenever somebody's talking directly to God, like in prayer, it kicks into this weird King James language with these these and these thous and this like strange thing as if God cares, like, oh, we need to have a special prayer language to talk to, no. Um, so I think it's a weird thing that they do in the translation, but because of how like uh, familiar this is, I, I'm gonna stick with my translation. And what I do in my own mind is I just retranslate it back into English. Um, uh, <laughs> from like King James, and um, I'm not dogging the King James for any of you that love that translation, but I, I just can't get past some of the phraseology and stuff um, myself, but um, so it's not going to match any of your translations, because um, I'm live translating it from like this King James speak to like my language, uh, but hopefully I, I'm not a heretic when I do it, so um, just know I'll read, it, I'll read it in mine and follow along in yours, so John chapter 17, starting at verse 1. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all mankind, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And now glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory with which I had with you before the world was. I manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Um, they, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed and that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And I am no more in the world, and that they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to you, 
And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given him your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask to take you, I ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus Christ who faithfully intercedes for us, who acts as our high priest, who offered the one sacrifice for the sins of all t- time and then sat down at your right hand so that he can welcome all who come to you through faith in him. So Father, I just pray that um, Jesus would be lifted up, that we would love him more, that we would be encouraged to represent him well in this world. Um, and I just ask for your spirit to preside over the rest of our time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we get into our text, starting at verse, um, starting at verse six, Jesus starts. And he, he's talking to the Father about his disciples, and and he starts talking about who they are. And he says this in verse six: "I manifested your name to whom you gave me out of the world." And he says, "The disciples are those." That, did you see the phrase there? Out of the world. Like when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he talks about that down in verse. I think it's down in verse. Um, yeah, in verse 8, he says, The words that you gave me, I have given to them. They have received those words. They have truly understood those words. And they believed those words. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, like something like changes with who we are. Jesus says that, that they have been given to him out of the world. Which means that, that if you're a genuine Christian this morning, that you, don't, you no longer live like, and, try, and find your hope in the world's power or in the world's strength. You, never, you no longer follow the world's ideologies and what they say is important um, in your life. You no longer worship the things and look for comfort and care and significance and the things that the world offers. That we are given to Christ out of the world. So it's important for us to, it's important for us to, uh, do, do, we can get you some water. Would you like some water? Can somebody get this sister up here some water? Oh, you got some. Okay, good. Thank you. That, that we're given to, like, we're supposed to follow Jesus Christ. And, and when we do that, like, we live distinctly from the world with a whole separate set of values. Man, there's a whole bunch of things going on in my, you know. <laughs> Those of you that don't know me, I'm kind of like the ADHD pastor guy, so it doesn't take much. So... I, I can see the power line out there. There's squirrels that run by, you know. So, Amen. so sorry for my sorry for that, but but I want to point out something. If you look down in verse eight, it says, "For these words that I gave them, I have given to them, and they received them. They have truly understood them, and they believed them." You know, that's what happens when we, like, are, are the, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We receive, like, God's word and, and what he's accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. We value it. We protect it. That's what he says when he says they kept his word. 
We truly understand it. We understand the significance of Christ's work on the cross and his death and his burial and his resurrection and what he's accomplished for me, and we believe it. That means we like focus on it and we rely upon it and we trust in Jesus and what he's done for us. That's what it means to genuinely believe. Like having faith in Jesus Christ isn't some just vague general knowledge about like I believe in God. It's great. Like so does every other religion in this world believe about believes in God, right? It's not some general knowledge about God. It's not even some just general knowledge about Jesus Christ. Like the the people in Jesus' day, the vast majority of them knew who Jesus was, knew what Jesus claimed, saw his miracles, but never received what he taught and what he did, never truly understood it, and never believed it. So if you're here this morning and you're just one of those people that has a general knowledge about God or Jesus Christ, like I just want to challenge you to, to really press in, to, to understand and receive to ask yourself, like, why did Jesus have to die and what does that have to do with me? Because your, your life in this world and in the next one is completely dependent upon it. You know, but one of the interesting and mysterious things that, that happens here is Jesus is praying for his disciples and as we hear him discussing the father, discussing it, the disciples with his father is that three times, it happens twice in verse eight and I think one more, no, in verse six and one more time down in verse nine, he says, the Father has given him the disciples out of the world. Do you see that? He says it three times. These people who you gave me, you gave me, you gave me, they have received and believed and kept and truly understood your word. It's, it's speaking to the mystery of like God's sovereignty and salvation. And what he's praying and what he's ta like talking to the Father about is he knows how secure the disciples are because our salvation at the end of the day, and I don't have time to develop this as a doctrine this morning, but let me just tell you this. At the end of the day, your salvation isn't just about what you did. It's not about your belief. It's not about just about your understanding God's word. It's not about under, just about you receiving God's word. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's because the Father has been working since before time in, with you in mind to accomplish his purposes for you. And that's why we can be secure no matter what happens all around us. What does Psalm 46 say? Though the, though the mountains are thrown into the heart of the sea and the seas rage and form, I'm not quoting it correctly, but I will not be afraid. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 5. He says, or no, John chapter 6, verse 39. He says this. He says, This is the will of him who sent me, Jesus is speaking, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. If, you're, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, like, your salvation is about your belief, but it's also about like God's sovereign work in your life. And, and it will be about God's sovereign work in your life. He, Jesus Christ himself, will raise you up on the last day. You need not fear. He will, he will like we sang this morning, he will hold you fast. Because that's what he does. So Jesus is speaking about his disciples and he says like, you know what, Father, you've given these to me out of the world. They've come to, they've come to like, receive and truly understand and believe these things that I've taught them, and they will what he'll model for them as he goes to the cross. 
You know, but, but as we go on to, to application, before we go to our second point, let me just speak to this a little bit, that this not only relates this, this idea of, like, receiving and truly understanding and believing God's word doesn't relate to those of you out here who are just trying to figure out who Jesus is and what Christianity is. I want to challenge you to ask those questions that I just spoke about a little bit ago. But it relates to all of us. Because the, that, that work of Jesus Christ and, the, and what he reveals to us in his word is meant to work into every area of our life. So I'm not even going to ask if it's true in your life, because I know it is. I'm going to ask you, like, where it's true. Like, where in your life do you need to come to a deeper understanding to receive what Christ has accomplished for you, to truly understand it, and to believe it? Like, where are those secret parts of your heart where you need to, like, receive and understand and believe Christ's work for you? And whatever the Spirit, like, reveals to you on those things, I just challenge you to go to Him with those things. If there's sin, confess there's sin, your sins to Him and receive His forgiveness. If there's a need for healing, like, come to Him and ask Him for that healing. The psalmist prays that in Psalm 6. Heal me, O Lord, for my soul is dismayed, I think is what he says. My bones waste away. Pray for healing, for forgiveness, for restoration, for strength. Because every single one of us has areas in our heart and mind where we need to receive and believe and truly understand like, what Christ has accomplished for us. You know, we move on then to the focus of Jesus' prayer in verse 9. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those that you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus is really ex explicit here. He's like, I'm not going to be praying for the whole world. I'm praying for a specific group of people here. And the specific group of people in that very moment was like the 12 disciples who were sitting with him, or the 11 at this point, because Judas is kind of a dirtbag. He left. Um, it's fair to call him a dirtbag. They call him son of perdition, which is like son of destruction. Is that, is that better? <laughs> okay, where was I? The 11. He's praying specifically for them. He says, I'm not praying for the world. And it's not that Jesus is unconcerned about the world. The, his, his journey to the cross that he's about to accomplish um, is proof of that. But he knows that his concern for the world is going to be carried out through the 12, and so he's praying for the 12. Or the 11, sorry. He's praying for the 11. His concern is for those guys. And then I read this in verse, verse 20. Look what he says in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. Who are those people? It's all of us, right? So as Jesus is praying and he's looking at his 12, he's looking at his 12 and he's looking through them, down through the millennia to like you and me and every single one of us. And this is a prayer for his church. It's a prayer for every single one of us that is his child here this morning. He's praying for us, ultimately. Then he says something that's really interesting that kind of like reveals to us the pathos of his prayer, like the emotion behind it. This is in verse 11. 
He says this. He says, oh no, let me go back to verse 10. He says, and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. Talking about the disciples. Think about that for a second. I have been glorified in them. What a super encouraging thing. Because if you look at the disciples, like, really? Like, I'm, man, those guys, like, reveal my glory. And they were kind of, like, dumb and, like, impulsive and, uh, and, like, never really knew what was going on. But what Jesus understands is that these people that the Father has given him, who, who have been cut part of his redemptive plan, who, have, who are about to receive, like, the sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins and, and then take that message to the whole world, like, he knows that, be, the, the, that God's sovereign work in the lives of his people will bring Jesus glory. And so he says, I have been glorified in them amidst all of their weaknesses. And that same thing is true for you and me. If you guys knew, like, the things that go on in my heart and my mind and my insecurities and my sins and my failures, like, to realize that God, like, glorifies himself in bro through broken people like me? Super encouraging. He's been glorified in his disciples. And then he says this that kind of reveals the pathos in verse 11. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. It's a weird statement by Jesus, because I'm pretty sure he's still in that room. But what he's saying is he's depicting himself as, as somehow being between this, on, this, on this border between two worlds. He's looking at his, he's, he's finished his public work among the Jews, he's, he's done his miracles, he's done his teaching, he's in this room just with his disciples, and he's about to, like, cross over that threshold into the darkness where he's betrayed and beaten and crucified and then feels the Father's wrath from this, for the sins of all time poured out upon him as he dies in our place. And he's on this, he's on this like, margin between the two worlds where his disciples are I am not in the world, but they're in the world, and I come to you. It's like that scene in the movie at the end of the movie where, you know, whatever movie, it happens all the time, you know, where, like, these people are being left behind, and this guy, this hero who's leaving, like, looks back at them before he goes over the hillside and disappears, and this is the, these are Jesus' last wishes for his disciples before he, like, takes that step into the darkness for us. I'm not in the world but they're in the world. And I'm coming to you, Father. So we should all be kind of hanging on his words, like, man, what is going to be on Jesus' heart and mind in that moment before he steps it over that threshold? And he says this. Here's his request. Finally, we get to his request down in 11, the second half of 11. And, and this is the... This is the, uh, our third point this morning for those of you that are trying to follow along. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. He starts this prayer with this phrase, Holy Father. Such an interesting phrase, and I, I looked for it anywhere else in the Bible. I think this is the only place that that phrase is used, and it, I, I'm confident it's the only place where Jesus utters these words. If you can find one, let me know, because I looked, and I couldn't find it. 
he talks to God as holy father. That idea of holiness speaks of God's transcendence, his otherness, that he is the God who reigns above all things, that he is unlike anything that he's made. His, his justice is perfect. His, his, he is totally righteous and glorious and loving and gracious and just in all that he does. He's the holy one who has all power over all things. And then he's our father. Speaks of his imminence and his intimacy. God's the Holy One, and He's our Father. So He's like, Father, you're the one who can do all things and who loves your people intimately. And here's the request. Keep them in your name. Like, keep them, guard them, care for them so that they may be one even as you are one or as we are one. So those are the two elements to his prayer. We're going to look at the keep them in your name this week. We're going to look at the oneness next week as he continues to pray. But before we kind of go on to what he's talking about when he's talking about keeping them in their name, I I do want to talk about the oneness there because when he's saying, when he's talking about keeping them in their name, he's talking about keeping them under you, Lord, together so that they may be one, like being kept by God and being unified with his people are tied hand in hand. Do you see that in that verse? Keep them in your name so that they may be one. Like, you can't separate those two. So he's talking about gathering his people under his name, unified together. It's in contrast to what he ended his teaching with in John chapter 16, verse 32. In verse 32, look what he says. Well, I'll start at verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you believe? Behold, an hour is coming and, all, and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. What he's saying is that the, the things that are about to transpire and the work of the enemy was prophesied in the Old Testament. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Is that the work of the enemy is to scatter God's people and isolate them, make them alone, and thus easy to pick off. And what Jesus is praying is just the opposite of that, that, that they would be all under the name of the Father and that they would be one. So it's a warning to us. If you look at those two things together, the work of the enemy in this world is going to seek to scatter you. It's going to seek to separate you from God's people. It's going to seek to isolate you. It's going to seek a, to, to cause you to pursue other things and not remain under the name of God where you will be kept. Sometimes it's sinful things like our bitterness or our, our unwillingness to forgive or our, you know, that's on one side. Sometimes it's what I think are kind of dumb things like our preferences. Well, Greek side's coffee is not that great, so I'm going to, all you on coffee, I, I like our coffee, so that's, that's just an example. Or Steve's examples offended me, so. Or, right, I don't like the, like the humor in the service. I don't like the music. I don't like the seats that we sit on or the... Or sometimes it's like good things, like things that you want your kids to be involved with or things that you want to pursue or your hobbies, like things that God's like blessed you and enabled you to accomplish. Like the work of the enemy is to scatter the church. And Jesus' prayer for us as we enter this world is that we would be kept by his name and be one. So I, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir for the most part because you all are here, 
But, if, but you can show up here every single week and never really be a part of the community of the church. You could just be this like, like attender who's never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, who's never experienced the, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to unify you with a group of people that are different than you and cause you to like follow him together. Or you can be one of those people who like, ah, church is just kind of this optional thing. I mentioned it in my, in my like little video thing last week is that, and I think I said it wrong, I think I said from professing Christians, it's actually church-going Christians. Between one in five and one in three Christians, between 20 and 30% of all like church-going Christians don't even go to church, they just stream online. I was gonna make a joke, but then I said no, but now I started, so I'm gonna say it. <laughs> I should have listened to that voice in my head. What does it say in verse 32? They, they're scattered each to their own home. It's interesting. Like, you know, he's talking specifically, I'm sure he had in mind, like, just sitting at home in your PJs streaming, you know, and never really being part of a community of the church, right? So that's a joke. But it relates. If you're just coming to a church, whether it's online or in person, just to receive some information and go about do your thing, like, you don't get it. We're to be one as the Father is one and like be a community of people who demonstrate something beautiful and we'll look at that next week. But what he does pray is that God would keep them in their name, in his name. Keep them in his character and who he is and under his power and under his authority. Amul, who's a commenter, says this about that and I just thought it was helpful for me. He says, in thy name. They were never to be allowed to wander out of that name never to seek another name, one of their own imagining or developing, never to dream of safety or, or of a home for their souls anywhere, but within the revealed personal love and life of the Holy Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Within that mystical circle of a knowledge of God as Father, they were to be preserved. And I'm going to add to that with this knowledge of God as Father and with Jesus Christ as our Savior. Because one of the things that Jesus prayed in here that's really kind of confusing is he prays, he says, keep them in your name, the name that you gave me. Did you see that? And I haven't talked about that yet. So it's hard to know exactly what Jesus is talking about, but I think he's talking about his literal name, Jesus. He was given that name by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel told like Mary and Joseph to name Jesus, Jesus, why? Because he will save his people from their sins. It's the name that he was given when he became flesh to dwell among us. When the name that he was given when he became a human so that he could die in our place. And it was the name that means Savior. Keep them in your character, Lord, and keep them in the name that you gave me. Not me, but him. Jesus, the Savior. Keep them in your salvation. Hold on to them. And the reason why he's so burdened about that is that he knows that he's going to be leaving them and he knows where he's going to be sending them. Look what he says down in verse um, verse 13 again. He says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Right before that, he says, you know, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. So Jesus knows his ministry is going to shift. He's leaving this world. He's leaving his disciples behind. And he has this desire that God would keep them, but he has the second desire, it's in verse 13, that they would have his joy made full in themselves. 
That idea of joy we talked about is this like pursuit of Jesus Christ, a delight in him that causes us to persevere and praise and, and pursue him as our ultimate satisfaction. Jesus isn't naive about joy because look at the next phrase. Verse 13, these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. This joy that Jesus wants us to have is a joy that like exists even amidst the hatred and hostility of the world around us. Like it's not to overcome us. And he's got this burden for his church because he knows he's leaving them so he's entrusting us to the Father to keep us so that we can live this life of joy as we're about his purposes. And then he starts to talk about what it means to be in this world and praying about that. And we, can, and we can overhear his conversation and learn something about our life in this world. Look what he says in verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Hatred is a really strong word. Like, Jesus says the world, the system all around us, and those people that are, like, like passionately, like, deceived by it, hates them. Let me be clear. Like, our world is full of hatred. There's, like, ethnic hatred. See that in, like, the Palestine-Israel situation? There's political hatred. You can see that in the coming months as we go into the primaries, Right? There's personal hatred. Probably see that in your own heart sometimes. There's religious hatred. There's, what else? What else you got for me? Any other hatreds that I'm missing? Sports hatred. <laughs> those, those stinking beavers and ducks, right? Like, self-hatred. Yeah. There's all sorts of hatred all around us. Let me just be clear just because you're being hated doesn't mean that like you're necessarily like following Christ. Because I think one of the things that happen is oftentimes we look for identity in things that um, aren't Jesus Christ. And we wrap our identity in those for that we, and we'll talk about this for a minute, so we can be accepted by a certain group of people. And I'll, I hope to talk about this more as we go through John. But there's lots of reasons why the world might hate you if you're, out, if you're here this morning and feeling the hatred of the world. But Jesus wants to make it clear. He, like, if, if we're going to be hated, we should be hated for being like him. He says, I have given them the, your word, and the world has hated them. Like, we should be shaped constantly by his word. And the world has hated them just as they have hated me, so that we should be reflecting Jesus' character. And if the world hates us because we're honestly reflecting Jesus' character and his holiness and his grace and his mercy then so be it but don't think that like representing christianity as an ideology and being hated for that is the same thing as living like jesus christ and being hated just as he was hated so we need to do both but jesus is talking about being like him and he says and when my people live like me this world will hate them. I think some of you probably feel that and know what I'm talking about. But he, then he starts talking about our relationship with the world and 
and let me just talk about some of the things here that he talks about. Um, starting at verse 15. He addresses some of the temptations we have as his people. In verse 15, he says this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Do you hear that? He's leaving his disciples behind, and he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them within the world. What he's speaking to, and he's, we're overhearing this conversation with the Father, and we should be making this connection is like there is this temptation within ourselves as Christians just to like, as, the, as we feel the hatred and hostility of the world around us, is just to withdraw. We, we, we love Christian community, and that's what Jesus is going to be praying about next week, but we love Christian community, and so soon we just start going to our Christian Sunday services and our Christian Bible studies, and we listen to our Christian music and our Christian podcasts, and we, and we like homeschool our kids, or we send them to Christian schools, and we like take step after step after step after step. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, don't get me wrong. But pretty soon, like we're just isolated with our own Christian bubble, and we're not like even seen by the world, let alone hated by the world. The world won't hate a church that just like cloisters themselves away like a bunch of monks in the desert and never like reveals like the, the character of Jesus Christ and the claims of Jesus Christ to them in, in a way that challenges their like lifestyle and their beliefs and their ideologies and those things that they hope in. And like, again, don't get me wrong, my email, if you want to talk about this, is aaronr at creeksidemac.com. <laughs> Don't get me wrong on this, though. Like, I get how, like, jacked up this world is. And I understand that it's, like, it, 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 like in my lifetime, I think this is, the, I can't think of an age that requires so much wisdom as parents to, like, care for your kids and to walk in this world as if you're not a parent. Like, I get all of that. And there's freedom in Christ to do all of those things that I talked about. But if you stop for a minute and honestly take stock of your life and you realize that like you're getting more and more insulated and isolated and you don't take active and intentional steps to correct that problem, you're outside of what Jesus is praying for you. And I think it's a problem here at Creekside. Eric and I talked about that this week. I think it's a problem here at Creekside. If you're, if you're like, if, if this like cumulative like effect of all of your decision making has left you in a place where you're isolated from this world, you're not doing it right and you're outside of what Jesus has prayed for you. In fact, we see this all through the scriptures. Like one of the places is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent. What's the next word? Among the Gentiles, that's talking about the nations, those that don't know the Lord. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, what's the world's response to the church? They're gonna, they're gonna slander you as like an evildoer. We don't know anything about what that looks like. They may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Key part there, excellently among. Not excellently out, like 
in your monastery or in your little bubble so that they can observe your life and how it's different. That's the first danger, is the danger to isolate and withdraw. The second danger in verses 16 and 17 is the danger to assimilate and conform. So if you're one of those people who's like, yeah, that's why those guys are dumb, and that's why I do it my way, and now I'm going to speak to you. I'm an equal opportunity offender this morning. (laughs) There is this temptation to assimilate and conform. Look what he says in verses 16 and 17. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to to make holy or to set apart, or in this context, to consecrate yourself for service. And they're tied together. Like, we need to be like distinct people shaped by Jesus Christ and his word if we're going to engage the world correctly. And that's why he says, consecrate them in your truth. I haven't asked you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to keep them from their evil one and make them distinct and, and unique in this world. And there's this temptation just to simply conform. You know, so if you're one of those people who like, oh, like all my friends at school are all doing this thing and I know that that's um, not the way the Lord would want me to go or if, man, like I have this opportunity as my friend's pouring out his heart about why his life is so jacked up. I remember that as a teacher. I was a public school teacher for a long time and I worked with um, at-risk kids and sometimes I was faithful and sometimes I'm not. This is a case where I wasn't faithful. One of my kids was weeping to me like, Mr. Munster, why do I always get so angry? It's a tough decision right there in the moment. Like, oh, I could lose my job if I... I think I weaseled out on that one. Like, to my shame, right? There's this desire to conform and be accepted and be approved. There are other times, by God's grace, I don't think I did. But if you're one of those people that, and, and it's good intention, like we want to be in this world and we want to be like representing Jesus Christ in this world, but where you're feeling that pull of assimilation and conformity and you're not taking active intentional steps to like reorient yourself around the person of Jesus Christ and walk in obedience to him, you are also outside of God's prayer for you. Like for us to be God's people, we need to live distinctly in this age, showing the beauty and gracious goodness of his rule over us. That's who we're meant to be. In fact, Jesus speaks about this. He kind of speaks to both groups in in Matthew chapter five. He says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is good for nothing. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Like, if, if we as Christians lose our saltiness, our taste, the thing that makes us, like, unique, what good is that? He goes on. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Like, he wants us to be on display before this watching world. And then he says this. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. There he's speaking to the people that just want to withdraw. You know, when he's, he's speaking, when he's talking about salt, he's speaking about the people that just conform to this world. When he's speaking about the light, he's speaking about those who withdraw from this world. But what are we supposed to be as a church, a city on the hill? 
as people give light to all who are in the house. And then Jesus t- tells what we're supposed to do instead. And look what he says here in verses, um, in verse 18. And I'll wrap up with this. Yehuda, you can come up. Look at verse 18, though. This is really important. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. All along in, this, in this, this night when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's talking to his disciples about leaving them, about leaving them, about leaving them, about leaving them. Now he changes his verb. Sometimes it feels like that, like we've just been left in this world and we're just trying to hold on until Jesus comes back. You guys, anybody feel that way with me? We were at this ethnic unity in the life of the church conference um, yesterday and two of the speakers talked about how they just want to like hide out in their basement until 2025 because they, they know what 2024 holds, right? Jesus doesn't use the word, I've left them in the world, as if, we're, as if we're just supposed to hang on until he comes back. He uses the language, we've been sent into this world as Jesus has been sent into this world. I'm going to talk more about that next week. Which means you're, you're sent to, what did Jesus come into this world for? To die. to die? You die to yourself? You willing to lay your life down for the cause of the gospel? You die to your preferences, you die to your sins, you die to your, for the sake of his redemptive plan going out to the world, we have been sent into this world. That sent is a strong word. So, you know, I've got, we've got application questions. Those will be out in the, in the weekly I think if you have missional community, if you're, if you're in a missional community, your leaders probably have access to those right now. But one of the things I've asked in there is like, who is it that God has sent you to? Who in your life that needs to know Jesus that you've been sent to? And I think Mike and I were talking about this, like just start praying for those people. Like realize we've been sent to this world. We've not been called to be called out of the world. We've been not called to conform to the world, but we've been called to be sent into the world distinctly and uniquely as God's people for his redemptive purposes. And each and every one of you are in contact with people that desperately need to know Jesus. So I'm going to let Yehuda close us. And, as, and then, you know, as, as we're singing, I'd encourage you to pray for those people that maybe the Lord's putting on your heart. If, if you don't know anybody, then that point about withdrawing applies to you. Like, just do business with the Lord, however he's working on it, and then I'll close this one in prayer when we're done.